you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. God damn that movie. Right. Well, that seems like a great place to start. Uh, hi, folks. This is Zompocalypse Now, and I am Tim. And I'm Dustin. And I am Curtis. And interestingly enough, although we did not plan it this way, 15 years ago, this film, High Tension, the film we're talking about tonight, uh, was released in the U.S. So this was not planned, as Dustin mentioned earlier, where we right. before recording. We're not that clever. Uh, but it just happened to work out that way. So Yeah. Uh, and uh, we are we are watching... High tension is as part of our uh, our series, our Pride series this this year. Uh, it is it is the month of June, and that is Pride Month. And last week we watched uh, Hellbent, which is a extremely effective gay slasher movie. And we thought we'd we'd kick it over to the lesbians for the second week, and we picked. High Tension, which is absolutely the worst lesbian movie you could watch for a Pride kind of like. Yeah, really. Know. If you're if you're looking for a movie with a with a, it just yeah, it wasn't. There was a lesbian character in it. Yeah. Well, it's also that trope in horror that you would get from time to time, uh, a lot depending on which decade. It was the murderous gay. Yes. And we'll get to that. We'll, you know, prepare for spoilers for a 15-year-old this week movie. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have listened to the show before, we presume. So you know, A, we spoil the hell out of things. And B, this is not the first time we've gone back in time to review right. something. That is. I do want to take a minute and mention that uh, we have been looking prior to doing this particular uh, theme for this month. We've been kind of looking at some of the Fangoria films, and interestingly enough, this last week has seen a major shift in what's going on in the world of Fangoria, uh, because Cinestate, the company that owns Fangoria, that helped revive the magazine, um, that helped brought them back as a company, because of course Fangoria had basically gone under a couple of years, several years back, has found itself in the middle of a disaster of pretty much possibly company-destroying proportions. As it turns out that one of their producers uh, is essentially a sexual predator. Oh, no. And he has been, uh, he's been charged with assault, sexual assault. Uh, and ripples have gone through the entire film community around Cinestate, um, but also through the film, the horror community going out. Uh, because what it appears to be, and I, I'm not... You know, this is all playing out in, in real time, so I'm not going to claim any kind of like super knowledge here. But what appears to be the case is that a lot of the, the higher-ups at Cinestate either ignored it, underplayed it, or flat-out tried to cover it up. Oh, no. This was known and had been known for a while that this guy was a predator. Um, so what has happened in the last several days is all the podcasts there are five, I believe five or six different podcasts that were underneath the Fangoria uh, banner. Um, they all said, we're leaving. We're not going to be a part of this. And uh, yesterday Fangoria and birth movies, death 
which is another uh, film-based website that is underneath the Senate State banner, both announced that they are looking, they are not returning to work with Senate State and that they are looking, you know, they are under the end. Uh, they believe that they are being shopped around for someone to purchase them and they're looking forward to that. Wow. They are not willing to go back. While they feel, they released a press release, you can find it on Twitter and, and various places, but they put this out in the world, that while they have spoken to the folks at Senate State and the folks at Senate State have said that they wish to, you know, change the culture of that company. Fangoria and Birth Movies Death said that's great. And we appreciate they're willing to do that, but we don't wish to return to work in this uh, in this environment because they knew they fucking knew that seems to be the case, and that's really really terrible. Uh, but we saw this play out with Harvey Weinstein too, um, but yeah. not so much in the uh, in in the horror community specifically. So this is actually a fairly big deal right now. We'll have to see how it plays out. There are some people who are really concerned right now that Fangoria could go under again. Um, I don't think that's going to happen based on the level of excitement with Fangoria coming back in the horror film community. I'm sure someone will recognize the financial value of picking it up. Uh, but right now, you know, there was a lot of things, a lot of things were on pause because of COVID-19 as it is, but certainly this is not going to bring that back anytime sooner. Um, and for the folks, you know, I'll bet they're damn glad that the world is on fire right now because they're yeah. getting no news coverage at all. Um, except yeah, that, I had, oh, go ahead. Except the big story broke Sunday. So that, yeah, so still it's, I've, it's all this. Yeah. I've scoured my standard news feeds. Haven't seen anything. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, the, unfortunately for them, the right people are paying attention. Uh, so uh, both illegally and internally with the folks at Fangoria and, and Birth Movies Death going, no, we're out. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Interestingly enough, we did the film, you know, Satanic Panic was a Fangoria Pictures, and this guy was one of the producers on that film. So anyway, it's an interesting situation that's going to play out, obviously, over time. Uh, and we'll, I'm sure, we'll circle back around to it as we talk more about other Fangoria films. And however this plays out in the future. But uh, if you're a fan of Fangoria, keep your fingers crossed. They find a new home uh, because they're looking and they don't, they don't want to stay there no more. So. They're, I think they're responding the correct way because you never know how, you know, folks think, you know, God, the world sucks right now. Well, Anyways, yeah. uh, we saw... What could have been one of the best horror movies of its genre? Um, High Tension is is probably one of the most... It is one of the best uh, slasher, girl against slasher movies ever made that shits the bed so hard, foul... Foul piles of diarrhea. The, the just contrast... shooting... The contrast in storytelling is so stark. I I don't... The last 20 minutes of that movie... What happens the first 20 minutes, Dustin? Uh, well, okay. This is going to be a special case because the the twist of, of High Tension is so important to reviewing it, to analyzing it, 
to having a discussion about it. Okay. We have to say what the twist was first. All right. I have no problem with that. It's 15 and, years and we, old. Fuck it. And we do want to sit there and point out that at the beginning of the movie, they actually make a fairly minor attempt to set the framing that would actually have potentially made this twist not quite as out of left field completely. Yeah. What is it? Uh, Roger Ebert said there's a, uh, there's a truck sized hole in the, in the plot and they actually drive a truck through it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, um, you know, it's that kind of thing where there's, there's a moment at the beginning uh, before we actually get into the story where there's sort of, a hint, but it's so brief and it's so vague that by the time we actually circle back around, because it turns out to be a framing sequence for the beginning, you know, the, the, we see the end of the film at the very beginning. Um, we aren't given enough information to get that thing because this is a and movie. Not only, that- yeah. Not only that, by the time we get back to the beginning, back to the framing device, nobody cares anymore everybody's mad. Well, because, I mean, there's, there have been plenty of films that, that have an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And this is a film where you become aware, when you become aware that this film is being told from the point of view of an unreliable narrator, which is a, which is a standard film trope, okay? It's the person mm-hmm. who's telling you their story. If you're not familiar with the terminology, they're telling you their story. And at some point in the course of this, you'll realize that they are, their worldview, the, the tale they're spinning, whatever it is, it's not real. It, whether it's an intentional lie or they're crazy or whatever the thing is, their story they're telling you cannot be relied upon. Right. And classic examples of that, although, you know, it's creepy with Kevin Spacey, is the, the usual suspects. The entire film is an, is an unreliable narrator story. Not that you. By the time you. By the time you finish watching, uh, the uh, math works on that movie. Yeah, the usual usual suspects. You have no idea if anything Verbal Kent has said is real or true, but it works so well that it doesn't matter if the story that he told is true, right? Because you are you are you're so pulled in by the story, and then by the fact that you can't. You can't know if it's real or not. That blows your mind so much that it's it, it even stands up to rewatching. You can watch mm-hmm. it and be like, yes, this movie does not – like I've seen this movie and I remembered the twist. And I was kind of waiting, watching this movie with the intent of let me look for places that hint at this twist. Right. I'm a big I'm a big fan of twist endings. I like that. I I write that's the way I write too. But the thing is, you have to know what the ending is before you start writing. <laughs> this was tacked on so awkwardly and stupidly and without any thought to the rest of the script or the rest of the film they'd shot. Well, it, the, the, I think this ending could have worked. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about the twist ending here because we have to get this out of the way. Yeah. Um, it is revealed that one of our main characters, Marie, Marie is the murderer. Is uh, not only is she the murderer, she is a older like 50 something overweight, disgusting, dirty 
man. And the implication is, is that this is this is a disassociated state that she's put herself in. Yes. So she's she envisions herself as this male killer, and then herself as the savior figure to save the woman that she's attracted to. Right. Uh, and uh, her friend Alex. The problem is, is that because we are not given enough information about anything not being real, the scenes we see the two of them almost interacting or, or physical things happening involving this male killer that you kind of sit there and go, but how did she actually do that? Right. (laughs) How is it that she is in this place and also this place? Or why is this character acting this way towards her and then this way towards the male character. Yeah. And, and the one, the one piece that, again, that one little hint is at the very beginning of the movie out of context. And so by the time this big twist comes, you've been watching a reality that you have no reason to suspect isn't real. Right. So the movie begins uh, with a woman it's Marie uh, sitting in a hospital room uh, covered in scars and bruises. And she's chanting. Uh, I'll never, I'll never let anyone get between us again. And she's chanting it over and over and over and over again. Uh, and then it jumps to a girl. It's Marie running through the woods and she's bloody and she's bruised and she's, you know, trying to escape from something we sit, we do not see. And so uh, she's running and running and running, and finally she gets out to the road, and she causes a car to crash. And then she runs up to the window of the car and says, help me, help me, help me. And then she awakens in the backseat of her friend Alexis's car. So they're in Alex's car, and they're headed to Alex's family's house. And here's the only little clue that you get to what my, what is coming for us is Marie says, I just had the strangest dream. And Alex says, oh, yeah? And she's like, yeah, I was running through the woods. I was trying to escape. Someone was after me. And it was me. I was after myself. And and Alex is like, ah, dreams are fucked up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, you know, talk about a boy that, that, uh, that Alex is dating and then, you know, are they just kind of like, you know, having small chat, chat, chats and singing to a lot of the radio. And then it kind of skips skips over to Alex's family. And they live on this farm out in the middle of southern France. And Marie's like, farms are shitty. Right. Like farms. Right. But, but here's a nice weird thing that happens. So... <laughs> Um, it goes to her, her family. They're waiting for those, the girls to arrive and they're, you know, having normal, you know, family conversations, but then it kind of, the camera pans out to country road and you see the truck and the killer is sitting in the truck and he is masturbating with a severed head. Like you do. Like you do. Okay. That's supposed to be her truck then. Right. And her alter ego is spending some quality time alone. How the fuck does her alter ego drive the truck to the house? Already is already there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's already has a victim 
we're led to believe that this is not his first victim. He There's l- several places where it shows different pictures of different women, and, and there's a point where they're in the truck and they look up at the ceiling and see scratches and blood. So we're led to believe that this killer has killed before. But how would that be possible? Is, Mar- is Marie out killing people when she's not studying for finals? There's interestingly, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at this. One is that she is a serial killer. And this is not her first time, her, you know, not the first time she's fallen in love with someone who doesn't realize that they're in, she's in love with them, that she could actually, this could actually be a recurring theme that, you no, know. Nobody likes a lady that drives in a, a box truck like that. Just a cool around. box truck. Uh, but how did it get there? <laughs> okay, well, okay, how did, how right, did so, it get there? How did mm. how did the how did the killer drive her and Alex from one point to another when she's back in the back? Again, we come back to the unreal narrator, but the pieces don't hold together, right? Um, but, but you did allude to the uh, the one thing that makes this movie qualify for this series is that she does have a crush on that le- on that yeah. uh, gal. Marie is Marie is very obviously, and it's it's pretty qu- quickly established that Marie has feelings for Alex. The way she looks at her, the way that Alex, you know, or the way that Marie kind of is around her, it's pretty obvious that she likes her. And her reactions to hearing about Alex's uh, recent sexual experiences are. A l- pretty clearly not just good-natured ribbing from a friend. Mm-hmm. There's a tension, no pun intended, to the to the, to her responses. There's an edge to it. Yeah. So they get to the house, and there's like a funny. Alex says this really funny thing where she like says, "I saw someone in the in the corn," and runs out into the corn, and and Marie follows her out there, and. We talked about this while the movie was playing. Like, I hate watching people in movies go into cornfields. Not because they're spooky. Not because, you know, oh, no, I'm so scared of the corn. It's because they're filthy places to be. They're filthy. It's hard to walk through corn. It's There's insects everywhere. Oh, yeah. When I was a younger man, I... uh took a lady friend and we decided it would be a romantic uh, thing to splay a blanket upon a wheat field and make love. I'm so sorry, sir. (laughs) And we got out there and the blanket brushed the top of the wheat and it just released this swarm of insect populace. And we, and the, and then the mood was gone. Yeah. No one like, wants to, to make love while being eaten by locusts. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say no one does. It's a strange world. So, yeah. So then they finally get to the house, but it's late. And, you know, it's it's uh, Alex's father and her mother and her little brother and their dog. They're tired. They're going to spend the weekend studying or whatever. And uh, their dad, the dad meets them at the door. And Alex goes upstairs because she's tired. But Marie wants a cigarette. So she goes out to the most obvious lighting set ever. <laughs> when you pointed that out, I, I snickered quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a swing, but it is underneath a spotlight. It's like a little, little pin spot. Yeah. 
perfectly placed. It's not even blue. You know how they kind of tint things blue when they're doing night shots? All right. She was just, <laughs> it's like a street lamp six inches over her head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she sits there and smokes a cigarette and watches watches Alex in the shower, um, which yes. is is slightly creepy. You you can read it a couple of ways if you're if you're watching the movie for the second time, like I was. You you get how creepy it is that she yeah. sees her friend in the shower and just sits there and watches. But if you're if you're not paying attention or if you've never seen this movie before, you can kind of see this as like you know, an admiration or kind of an accidental, I've seen this on accident, but I'm not looking away because I'm kind of into it, kind of moment. She's so beautiful. Right. Look some more. Well, yeah, because she follows it up uh, and again gives you a little bit of sense of, uh, or rather a lot of sense of, of how she's feeling because her next step is to go back inside and masturbate. Right. This is a lot. I just this realized. This movie is for dudes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, not only that, but this is like way, way probably the most graphic thing we've ever watched. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, up to this point, too, there was like all of this imagery that was like, like when they panned by the, uh, by the uh, swing set that she's sitting on underneath the moon lamp. Mm-hmm. I noticed that they, that was constructed in a way that made it look like a capital A, which, you know, scarlet letter. And there was that little subtle thing that they did to kind of get your head in a place, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, there was like a transition to a teapot that was kind of implying an orgasm. And, you know, I I kept noticing things like that, thinking, Jesus, I am perverse that I'm thinking of these things. But I think it was deliberate. I think they did little shots like that to kind of titillate you a little bit and kind of work your way up to the masturbation scene. Right. Well, and not only that, but this is, even though our main character is female, even though our protagonist is a woman, this movie is very, very, very shot in the male gaze. Yeah. Even movies that are made by queer women for queer women about queer women don't, like they don't populate their movies with the same kind of imagery that movies that are made by men do. Oh, sure. Well, not only that, this is made by this, and this is not this. Uh, this is going to sound bad, but I'll I'll explain. It's made by a French director. This is one of the films of the uh, new French extremity series of of slasher horror movies. This was a particular, you know, leaning into the the sex and violence, but also doing it in a very stylized, very pretty way i mean you know uh-huh. applying the artistic technique to the slasher movie into the gore genre um and this was a this is a this is a genre this is a subgenre of horror filmmaking in a french movement that was very male gaze dominated if right. you look at the if you look at the directors who were involved in it who were influenced by luc basson you know lars von trier is connected to this not obviously not just a French French thing. It became right. a bigger thing. We're gonna if you're gonna bring up Luc Besson, you have to acknowledge that even though he eroticizes his characters, he he loves them and respects them and treats them, you know, with dignity in a way that I don't think that this film does with either Alex or Marie. Um, 
Alex said her last line when she went upstairs. When she said, I'm tired, I'm going upstairs. She didn't say another word for the rest of the movie. Right. Well, it's like, like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. yeah. This movie gets really awesome when she hears something outside. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's when we really just, oh, this movie is so sweet from here until it's not anymore. <laughs> yeah, until it's not anymore. <laughs> and because, because and, it, and, it's, and it's so good because, because of the power that you get from Marie, the, the strength that she shows. And, you know, okay, so, so Marie goes upstairs and, and, you know, has a little intimate time, a little alone time. Uh, and there's, but there's something outside and the dog barks at it and the dad gets up to go and investigate and somebody rings the doorbell and it turns out that it is the killer out front of the house and he has a rock and he like, as soon as the dad opens the door, he smashes that dude's head with the rock and then he kills the dog and then he like somehow like gets the dad up the stairs, gets his head through the railing and then pushes an arm wall or like a buffet, one of those big like, in to, to like decapitate him. Yeah. Now, our killer is presented as a giant, hulking, overweight dude. Like, big dude. Big, middle-aged and, um, Marie is presented as a very, very slight, very, very tiny French lady. I, this is one of those moments in the rewatch where you go, how did tiny little French lady Marie drag that adult man up the stairs and then push a buffet into his head to decap fast enough and hard enough to decapitate him? Well, she did it because it's physically impossible. because they completely forgot they shot that scene when they wrote that shitty right right so so the mom then comes downstairs and she's like greg and she of course is you know is is slashed to, to to death i like that we hear the murders yes we we don't see every murder but but the ones we do get to see are pretty awesome Right. It's murders go. And and let's just say that one of the things this film does do really, really well, and they do it pretty much throughout the picture, is that it's shot, the composition of every shot is usually very, very good. And there's some real thought to what you do and do not see and what you do and do not hear. Right. Right. Um, The music in this film often is there, but it's dropped down to being complete background. Um, and even though there's, you know, we've, we've got songs with actual lyrics and then music plays, you know, it swells up at this point or that point, a lot of the time silence does more of heavy lifting. Right. Marie gets minorly obsessed. She finds a phone in her room and she gets minorly obsessed with moving the, and this is another thing. There's so much trouble moving the chef robe. How did she do those things to the dad? She didn't. She didn't. Because she thinks there might be a phone jack behind it, and there isn't. And then the mother is killed, or, or 
wounded severely. And uh, then the killer goes upstairs and we get to hear him. Marie. Marie. Yes. We get to hear him, Marie, sexually assault Alex, which is really creepy because we don't, again, this is a very good show don't tell moment. Because we don't see it happen, but by the way that Marie, our Marie, the Marie we're watching, the faces that she's making, the things that she is experiencing, you can tell that that's what's happening. That that, that woman's performance is outstanding. Right. Yes, she's great in this movie. <laughs> the fact that she's awesome is what makes the movie of that much worse. Is that, you right. Know, you right. believe Marie so much, and but then when it when it when it turns out that she is uh, cuckoo bananas, you're like, no. Well, not only <laughs> like you're you just you just go no no that's not and it's not like I can't believe that I just spent all my time with this protagonist who's actually the villain. It's like a, no, it's physically impossible for her to have done these things that you are suggesting she has done. <laughs> and when we get when we do get flashbacks to scenes of where things have happened before where we see her in place of the killer, we don't get them in the places where she would have had to have done something else to have resulted in what we saw this other killer do. Right. Yeah, when when you when you do a twist ending, you have to show where people missed it. Right. Usual Suspects is a great example because when that entire scene plays out where he sees all the different ways he's been fed words that are in his own office, spoiler alert for the Usual Suspects, uh, (laughs) the, you know, the fact that he can, you know, you hear Verbal Klimt's voice and you can see the various things that he just, you know, spun this story out of whole cloth or at least the version that he gave based on props. Yeah. Yeah, he's pulled the greatest, you know, evening at the improv riff that you could imagine. <laughs> uh, and although let's let's be super fair uh, to the usual, su- I mean, because verbal is one of the quote unquote usual suspects that they pull in at the very beginning of the movie. So it's not like they don't know where to go find verbal. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe he's gone now, but now they know what Kaiser Soze looks like. Like they've pulled verbal in before and taken his picture. Yeah, but by the time he gets into the car, <laughs> you just know they're never going to find it. Right. Again, spoiler alert for God only yeah. knows how long. Movies like that are fun to watch twice, or at least twice, because then you, because if you know the ending, then you're fed the clues, and it's it's as exciting. Yeah, but a movie like this to watch more than once, you get to sit there and be like. No, <laughs> no, no. She couldn't move a chef robe, so but she was able to like massively push that buffet. No, maybe if that buffet was on like those those silicone casters that you put on the floor to keep them from getting scratched up. Mm-hmm. Maybe if she had some of those that were fairly new. Yeah, it could happen. Okay, so anyway. Uh, Marie is hiding in the guest room and the killer comes in and you're, and for, well, first Marie does this thing where she like tidies up the guest room to make it look like nobody is there, which is smart question mark. 
I mean, I guess it makes sense to a certain degree in, in terms of you know I'm gonna I'm hiding I'm gonna make right. cover my tracks. The problem is is that I know houses like that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. You know, she would they would he would have heard her. Oh yeah, <laughs> those I floors don't... would be creaking. <laughs> oh yeah, I thought something was either weird or bad. Some of the clues, like the fact that uh, the killer never sees her bloody footprints. It's yeah. just tromping around through gore for, you know, a good portion of this movie. Yeah, and she's barefoot, and you would you would think that the guy when he's searching for her or for someone, we never really understand how how or why he knows someone else might be there. Yeah, that's all in her head. Right. So the kid, the little boy, goes running out of the house, and. <laughs> Um, Marie takes this moment to go and try and release Alex. Now, the way that Alex reacts when Marie comes into the room to save her is not the the actions of a woman. woman. Oh, she's gagged. But she's not acting like a woman who has just been sexually assaulted by this person. Right. And then, so, the killer follows the brother, the little boy, out into the cornfield and kills him while uh, Marie watches from the window. Now, whether we're supposed to believe that the Marie in the house is not in the house, or what, it's just... I don't know. This part... these My, my intelligence is insulted by this structure. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the problem is that really what... what we need to be doing here, I think, is Dustin, just just go along with telling the rest of the story, because if we stop and try and figure out all the different places where it should make sense and it doesn't... Uh, yeah, I think uh, folks maybe get that point by now. Yeah. We'll, we'll be stopping and going, but see here, <laughs> here, <Yeah>. but no. <laughs> well, I mean, there are points where we're going to have to do it. Yeah, we we're get to, to the gas station, we're going to have to stop and talk about the gas station. Sure, right. <laughs> <laughs> we have no choice. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, Marie tries to re- release her, but she can't. And so she's like, all right. So she runs downstairs, and there's this whole little cat and mouse thing between the killer and Marie where she's downstairs doing stuff, and the killer's like tromping around. So, Marie gets a knife, and uh, somehow she like escapes the house uh, and sees the killer put. Alex into his nasty nasty ass van. And so then she goes in to try and get her out, but the killer comes and closes them both in. And so now they're trapped in the van together. Are are they? Are they? Yes. Okay, go ahead. But no. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh, it's fucking killing me, man. I know. Because, I mean, yeah, unreliable narrator aside... The way Alex and Marie act in these scenes where they are together in the van are, again, like, these are two women trapped in the situation together. Right. And the thing is, her her reactions in that scene work. Right. Either ending, I, the, the, the proper ending or the ending we got, that right. works. Well, I was and actually then fine with that. The, you know, and I try to imagine, like, the... These moments where, like, where, where Alex falls over and looks up at the ceiling and sees all the blood and scratches, as if Marie wasn't there, Alex would still experience this moment, you know? Right, yes. So, so that 
kind of like thinking helped get me through this. <laughs> uh, they stop at this gas station and Marie sees there's an attendant in there and she's like, okay, this is our chance. This might be our only chance. And then she says, she has the knife and she gives it to Alex and says, here, just in case I don't come back, now you have something to protect yourself with. And why Alex doesn't stab her ass right then and there, no one knows. No one can know. <laughs> she just got handed a knife and her hands were free enough to, to, to shank a bitch. <laughs> so so Marie goes into the gas station and she tells the guy, hey, you have to call the police. And he's like, why do I have to do that? And, and, and she's like, you just have to do it. And then the killer comes in and acts like he talk, knows the guy and talks to him all the time. They talk about sunglasses and about what the dude does when, like, lonely women show up at the gas station. That's such a weird question to ask a gas station attendant. Hey, Jimmy, do you got a lot of, lot of rich chicks coming in from the burbs wanting you to bone them? Yeah, well, like, cause, yeah, that happens in gas stations. Because, <laughs> Jesus. This scene becomes complicated for a lot of different reasons especially here because you have you establish this this male killer as being really just kind of creepy in general even when he's not murdering people he's a genuinely you know he's yeah. he's an yeah. odd fellow um what's up jimmy but then you then if you if you <laughs> if you've got marie in his place in the real world did any of this conversation take place did a right. version of this conversation take place? What was this version like? You know, Marie's it, leaning across the counter going, so, all those rich women coming in? It's like, it, it changes the vibe of the conversation entirely. Right. Um, and it's just, I mean, there's so much going on here that just doesn't quite fly. And you wonder if this conversation is even a thing that happened. Well, let's think about, uh, let's think about that question if... Uh, if Marie would have stood there asking it, 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 it's different. Yeah. Because the context is different. Right. Because a woman character, because um, men and women are different. I don't know if anybody's ever brought that up before. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's, it's a place that the storytelling gets really sticky and unreliable narrator aside, whether or not this conversation happened or not, shouldn't be something that you go, oh, you shouldn't be like, what? A good twist, when a good twist happens in a movie, you think back on scenes like this and you're like, oh my God, that was all one person doing that. Not, what? No. No. Because the killer is like, oh, get me some alcohol. Get me, or he notices, the killer notices that the gas station attendant has noticed the blood on his hands. And then he's like, hey, give me some alcohol. And so the, the gas station attendant goes to the lockbox where the alcohol is, and Marie is hiding. And he kind of looks over at her. And they share a moment of, you know, oh, shit, we're in this terrible situation together. And then the killer kills the gas station attendant with an ax with an ax. And again, let's not jump into the crazy, you know, physics of tiny little Marie axing some dude. 
Stephen a- Hawking would be appalled. Right. Well, no, I mean, she's, you know, the nice thing about an axe is that it's a weighted object. If you sit there and get enough momentum, you can drive, you know, you don't need, you don't need a lot of actual strength. You've got speed and weight working in your favor. Right. Too. It was not, a good death though. Yeah, it was great. She's not super scrawny. I mean, she's, no. you know, she's got a little, she's got some muscle tone. Right. Yeah, it's a great death scene. So, but she does take the moment to try and call the police and, you know, she tells them there was a murder at the gas after the killer leaves. So the killer chases, you know, as essentially secret chases her into the, the bathroom and she listens to him pee. Is she <laughs> peeing or, and dream her is watching or is the guy? Huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, this goddamn movie. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so so then she tries to call the police, and she can't tell them what gas station she's at. She can't tell them what the van looks like. She can't tell them anything, and she gets really frustrated. Like, why can't you help me? It's like you're not giving us any information. And so she decides. Marie decides the only way to do this is to do it herself. And so she goes out to the back and finds the the attendant's car, which is this badass yellow and black sports car. It's not badass. It's like a, it's, it's an sob. I liked it. I thought it looked real cool. I thought the back end looked good. looked weird. It was a fast back, but it looked more like a Pinto. (laughs) Little French car. Right. So she goes after that. And there's this scene where you go back to the killer in the in the van with with Alex, and he like pours alcohol all over her, and then holds a match over her, like he's gonna burn her. And that's really kind of like okay. That was that was just to keep the tension up in yes. the movie. Um, because meanwhile she's following, driving fast, and again you come into where is camera. Where yes. is where is she in relationship to the actual events that are occurring right now? The car <laughs> ends up flipping, and she gets beat to shit by the in killer. The accident. Well, yeah, not only, yeah, she gets beat to shit in the accident, and then yeah, then they have a fight in the greenhouse between her. Still and can't her. figure out how both those cars got there. Well, we're still trying to figure out how the van got there in the first place. <laughs> Because, you know. They didn't think it through. They didn't right. think it through. No. Okay, so now we get our, our our kind of our moment of truth. Killer knows Al knows Marie is there. And he she took the gun from the from the gas station, but he took the bullets. How did he know she was gonna take the gun? We don't know. Uh and how does she know that he took the bullets? Because he held, hangs them out the window. And how did she see that? Who knows? But she ends up running her yellow car off the road, and she escapes to a greenhouse. And the killer follows, and they have a very tense standoff in the greenhouse where she, where he tries to, uh, he tries to suffocate her, and then she like bashes his head in with a rock. Oh, but in this moment, the killer says, when he's got her down, he says, "She turns you on, doesn't she?" Yeah, she. Yeah, she turns me on too. And you know, so this is our moment where we're we get to, you know, we know that 
not only is is Marie trying to save her friend, she's also trying to save the girl that she's in love with. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I had to stop for a second. If it was her uncle or something, you know. Yeah. I just I just you know I just thought about, you know, you know, just all of the lesbians who who spent t- decades taking care of AIDS patients and fighting for for feminism and women's rights and their rights to love who they want to love and the first strong dynamic kick-ass lesbian horror movie protagonist is also the killer and I just I just know that Melissa Etheridge is spinning in her grave that we're talking about this for pride <laughs> and I just feel really bad about it and yes I know Melissa Etheridge is alive I didn't know that she is alive she just sleeps in a grave <laughs> That wasn't really funny, but I liked it. <laughs> so, well, so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come. We'll come back to this. I there's, right. there's so much. So about the time that Marie is killing the killer, the police show up at the gas station, and they find the dead body, and they go and look at the security footage, and here is our first time that we realize because there have been no hints or clues up to this point. That Marie is actually the killer because it shows her axing the attendant. It's the denouement of the film. Right. When it was goes, not earned in the least. Everybody goes, what the what? Okay, uh, and here's, here's the point in the film where two things can happen. The remainder of the film, up until the climax, is the reveal. This is the yes. point where you see how you got to this point in defiance of everything that you saw. It is perfectly fine to yank the rug out from underneath the audience. Unreliable narrators exist as a trope for a reason. Right. It's because when done well, they're really cool, and when done poorly, they piss people off. Right. And you'll find them in novels, you'll find them in film, you'll find them in radio, you'll find them in comic books. It's it's used all over fiction, okay? So this is the point. Okay, here's the point where you now begin to see how everything you saw before isn't what you thought it is. Okay, Dustin, and go. But they don't actually do that. Oh, yeah, there's that little problem. They don't... Because this this is where we should have gotten the scene of Marie driving the shitty van talking to Alex in the back about how I'm going to save you. Don't worry. Let's keep quiet. We could get away from him or, you know, whatever we could have, whatever bones they wanted to throw at us to, to help us realize that this is not what we saw didn't actually happen. We could have seen how weirded out the gas station attendant was when this girl came in and then pretended she was somebody else. Yeah, if there was a flashback of her in those dialogue scenes saying those things, they could have made it work a little bit better. Right. 
Well, the I mean, only we, thing, the only one of those that we get is the only one that was completely unnecessary, which was her standing over the little boy with a shotgun. Well, that and, and the implication that, you know, she's, well, not the implication, the, re- the real reveal that she was standing over the mother when she right. went after her throat sweat. And the blood was, the blood was not spattering on the walls as much as it was spattering all over her, too. Right. So. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the point. Wouldn't it be really, really cool to see that entire scene with the same dialogue with her point of view? I mean, as her. So that's revealing that she knows him, which is explains how the truck got there, which explains. I mean, there'd be all these you'd see all these things. It's like, oh, yeah. Hey, you're back. You know, I mean, you could have seen or, or a different version of the conversation that was that was closer to reality or something. But no, we don't. get No, none of that. But well, I'm glad they didn't take it to the point of like where years ago she was abducted by someone and he went to a mental institution and escaped and now he's shown up where she's at again because he wasn't done with her and then he has to kill all those people and chase her around because we've seen that movie before. Right. Oh, we definitely have not seen this movie before. That's true. <laughs> There's kind a, of truth. There's a novel, a Dean Koontz novel called Intensity. And Intensity... Uh, yes. Is Does it take al- place in 10 cities? No. Damn it. Uh, it's, it. But Intensity is almost this exact story, except that the, the killer and the girl are two separate people. And it came out before this film did. And the director of this film, the writer of this film, had read the book. Right. And Dean Koontz... Uh, was asked if he was going to sue, and he said that now that he'd seen the film, he wasn't because he hated the film so much. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, French director Frenchy. man. <laughs> Fr- Frenchy. Mr. F- Mr. French person who's had a career in film and deserves our respect for only or at least that. Whatever, sir. <laughs> Okay, so then Marie goes back to the van, and she's, like, so happy. She's like, hey, guess what? I killed him. We're safe. We're going to get out of here. I, and she, un- Hooray. she she lets, you know, Alex out of the thing and, like, unties her. And, ta- and then Alex, of course, freaks out because her whole family's been murdered. She's been sexually assaulted and tortured and, and uh, driven around by a crazy person for the entire night. And she stabs, uh, or she cuts Marie's face with the knife. And Marie reverts back to the killer. And then... Apparently she didn't kill him, so... Well, and then we get to see probably one of the only moments that was good in this, like, once we got the reveal, because we have the killer chasing... Alex with that weird saw and we have Marie chasing the killer with that weird saw. And it's the same scene from the beginning that Marie was dreaming about. Yep. And even up to the point where she gets to the car and gets into this car with this guy and the car won't start and the guy gets killed and uh, Alex escapes again. She has to get her out again. That- that detail is where they thought they were being clever about it. Yeah. We can just frame this up just like this. Right. We're, 
because we're making this shit up as we go now. <laughs> well, and this is this is a scene that that quite frankly is exactly what we wanted to see more of, which is because we got to see the two, both Killer and Marie side by side, doing right. the same things. You know, the, you know, showing that we. But it was still weird because it was like it's like Alex is seeing the guy now. Yeah. Because That's who she she's gets, looking at. When she gets in the car, she says to the guy, they both want me now. Yep. Which, again, I... Uh, it doesn't... Well, they mind. don't earn that. They don't earn it. So anyway, um, Alex uh, uh, defeats, is able to defeat Marie. And the last thing we see of Marie is she oh. gets... Let's wait because there's also the. She's standing over her with the with, with this cement saw, uh-huh. which you know you've you've seen the pictures. Nice touch. You, you know, if you've seen the pictures for the film, you know what this. It's a pretty impressive looking thing that you do not want to uh, actually have attached to. You. you know, and she's like, "Do you love me?" She's like, "Do you love me? Do you love me?" And Alex is like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, okay." Yeah. On the off chance you won't murder me, sure. She drops to her knees and kisses her, and uh, and, we actually and I'm 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 sorry, I'm sorry. It's the worst kiss I've ever seen, but it was on purpose. Bad, so that made it pretty good. Yeah, that was one of the most uncomfortable things that I saw. Well, here's here's the real her problem. Basically, assaulting her right there. again, again, because she, she raped her earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, here's here is one of the things about this movie that makes it so frustrating. The stuff that is good in this movie isn't just good; it's kick ass. Oh yes, it's mm-hmm. awesome, and you are you can get lost in this movie in how good the action scenes are, how tense it can be in moments. The gore effects are beautiful. This movie, when it is good, it is just amazing. But when this movie is bad, it is the worst thing you have ever seen in your entire life. Bad. Yeah. I wouldn't I go quite that far, but this is definitely one of those films where if you don't watch it a second time, you could easily miss because you're so like, what the hell just happened? How is this? Like, no, this doesn't work. This is bad. Um, you you miss some of the stuff that actually happens that is really kind of, I mean, from everything from technical to performance to really creepy kisses that are creepy on purpose. Mm. Um, you know, you miss, you could miss all that stuff because you're going, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one of the, you know, the saving graces of watching this movie again was that we got to, we knew, we knew that the bad things were bad. And so we were able to focus on the good stuff for the most part and then trash the bad stuff. (laughs) Because, yeah, so basically, you know, she she gets close to having the kiss. It's time to get stabbed. Yeah. Um, And at this point, if there was ever any question about, you know, Marie's mental state, which there should not be at this point. Right. Um, it's, it's right now, it's, it's, we've gone past any point of return because she's going, she's got a crowbar through her chest. 
It's which is out. really hard to do, I would imagine. Mm. It's sticking out her back. And she's saying, I'm never going to let anyone come between us. I'm never going to let anyone, you know, stand in our way. You know, she's like, um, okay, sure. You just, you just keep saying those words while you're, if there was any question whatsoever that she was crazy, no, she, she is in fact insane. Right. And then it goes back to the mental hospital. And we see that the person who is injured is, of course, Marie. And then it goes to kind of a glass, one of those mirror windows. And uh, you see Alex standing there and she says, she can't see me, right? And then the next thing is, is Marie looks in her direction and reaches for her. And that's the end of it. Stupidest attempt at a jump scare in the final moment. Just no. Hard no. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry for the lesbians who endured such hardships and then had to deal with this bullshit. Well, we're going to, I'm going to have to, because, because we did this on pride month and this is obviously the wrong kind of movie to be doing for this. I'm going to have to do some, some research and I'm going to have to uh, redeem ourselves with the lesbians for the good, with a, a better lesbian horror film. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that that play into a long and not always great history of horror here, and I think that we should definitely have one where where lesbians are not clearly psychotic creatures come to destroy your family, because you know, in my experience, very few have. Well, none of them have come to destroy mine. I, I can say that I've ne- I've never had a lesbian over and had her murder the family. Yeah, it's it's never it, not my personal experience. Um, but this is this does play into a thing which was going on in not just in horror. You, you'd see it in psychological thrillers as well, where the gay or lesbian character was driven to kill because they were gay or lesbian. It was a right. it was a reason for being bad. Um, and this, of course, you saw this in the '60s and '70s a lot uh, in Hollywood films. You would see. The implication that if a woman was was a lesbian, you would, unless she was Marlene Dietrich, in which case she could do whatever she wanted. But you also had these, you know, they uh, characters who who came to a bad end, you know, because they couldn't find a man, and it was subtext in some cases, and sometimes it wasn't so subtexty. So it's a long history of the the evil gay character, and so this unfortunately leans into that. Now, that said, um, I, I, I suppose it's a sign of equality. And, and the folks at home, I'm not sure if I'm using air quotes here or not. If your villain is straight or gay or, I mean, is it? I think it depends. I think, yeah. I think that, I mean, we have to look at context because if that's the only thing that's making them evil, if, you know, but I mean, if. I, you know, if we wanted to cycle, if we we could do a really good, easy uh, armchair psycho psychological evaluation of Marie that her uh, that her sexual attraction to Alex was so disheartening and destructive to her that she had to create this monster to deal with it, and that mer- monster ended up killing everyone that Alex, you know, if I can't have you, no one can have you, kind of thing. Well, even even her. 
even her attitude, the the vibe I got off of her, she had a little crush. There was no obsession there. There was no deep longing, furtive glances while she, you know, trying to watch her sleep, that kind of shit. There was none of that. The kind of stuff that would indicate like uh like some sort of psych some sort of link between her motivation subconsciously and what happens. Just as we do not get an explanation how she was able to do all the things she physically could not have been able to do. We also don't get a, a reason. It's and, and dear filmmakers, it's not enough to say, but I love them and I have to kill to, to get their love. Okay. No, you actually have to give a reason. You actually have to, you, you develop a villain, you develop a character. Um, if you're doing this kind of story, that, that's, part of the fun is trying to figure out how that happened to them. Well, yeah, right. right. Having it's one thing to have a story where you never learn the motivation of the killer. We watched that film, one of those films last week, and it works. It's it it absolutely does not matter in a slasher movie why the slasher is killing someone. And usually, if you get an explanation, it's because he was kicked down the stairs by a bully when he was twelve, and he res- he resolved that one day he would return to the town and take his revenge. Okay, punt. That's all the def- explanation you need for. You know, the St. Patrick's Day Massacre 3, this time Patty is serious. You know, you you don't need that explanation. But if you're going to take a character through this and spend as much time with these really strong performances, these two, I mean, they they take those first minutes of the film and build this connection between these two young women. And you actually have really strong performances from actors throughout this film. If you're going to do that... You can't just sit there and go, you, you can because obviously they did. But you should not sit there and go, okay, just because I love you, I have to kill everyone around you so that no one is in the way. Okay, where's, how did this happen? Where was the break? Is this a thing, is this a thing confined to Alex? Is she really a serial killer? And those girls, those images of those women are all the women she's loved before and decided that we, we never know. We will never know. We will never know. And that's, and, and that's, it does. It hurts. And I would have loved it if the movie ended with a shot of Marie kneeling in the middle of the road alone. None of it happened. <laughs> that would have been a, that would have taken the film over into surreal territory and it might have worked better f- for that. The film breaks itself. Right. So it, if they'd have done that, I think I would have been okay. This film was kind of fucked up. And Well, I've seen films break themselves and do it in an ex- Mulholland Drive yeah. fucking breaks itself. <laughs> but it does it. It's David Lynch, and he breaks that movie in a way that is insane and brilliant and is disturbing maybe we should have watched no we could never have even we couldn't have even began to analyze that movie never mind <laughs> but i i don't want to poke around at david lynch's head no no we're 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 strictly high tension in this podcast 
<laughs> that's, that's as much crazy as we want to deal with. But yeah, th- that movie, because that was supposed to be the, the, the movie was supposed to be a pilot for our TV series. And when the TV series turned out it wasn't going to happen, David Ledge was like, fuck it, I'm making it anyway, and I'm going to make it super crazy because I'm super crazy and awesome. And he, like, the first... 45 minutes to an hour of that movie are very, very plot forward. And then the last 30 minutes are just like, what is happening? But you why do I love it so much? You come <laughs> to expect that sort of thing from David Lynch because he he's really, really good at taking what you saw and then pulling back a layer. Mm-hmm. And and depending on what his mood is, it's what he shows you under that layer. It's like the difference between looking at, say, Blue Velvet mm. and Mulholland Drive. Right. You know what what they show when they peel back the layers are radically different. And when you I mean the for all the the re questions of reality, say Mulholland Drive inspires. Um, you know, there's there's a rather disturbing rooted in reality sense for a film like Blue Velvet. It's really hard to make those kind of things work. And maybe they should have run this script past uh, David Lynch or the French equivalent and gone, okay, so here's what I want to do. Uh, that, was, that was the thing, though. The dude's ego's like, I'm going to be the French David Lynch, motherfuckers. Well, so this is this definitely still falls into this phase of French filmmaking, which is still going on, by the way. This is not this is not a a thing that has ended the French, uh, this particular style of uh, the way that they look at horror um, is not going away. Uh, it's still going to be around. It's going to continue going around. And one of the things that it really leans into is very graphic images of violence, which this film certainly has. Yeah. Um, with, with not just a touch of realism, it was, I felt like felt like they kind of like in my head when i think about how things actually might happen it lo- it was like that mm. not like not like how i want to see it in the movie yeah having the brutality actually feel brutal is yeah. part of this movement and also the home invasion theme recurs a lot someone coming into your space and destroying something or taking you out of your your area of safety so some well americans to- have their version of that too right now which is family moves into a house and there's a demon under the wallpaper. Yeah. There's like 20 of those right now. <laughs> which which lets which tells you right then, you make sure that the renovations happen before you move in. Right. And you let those guys get eaten by the monsters. You move in after it's done. But you're 60% more likely to have a demon behind the wallpaper if you have lead paint in the house. Mm. Do you and know that? You like it, the more you know. Yes, yeah. sure. But so yeah, I <laughs> There's reasons to recommend this film. The oh, problem, absolutely. The problem is, there's a big one that says don't. This is one of those movies where I'd say, hey, know the entire plot before you watch it. You might enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. If you're prepared for the disappointment emotionally, I think you'll be okay. Well, and if, and if you're not bothered by questions of logic and physics... If you are able to turn off your brain while watching a horror movie and just enjoy the ride, it may not bug you as much as it bugs us. Something just occurred to me. Like mm. if, if somebody who 
was intimate with the movie, like the director was listening to this and just screaming at the wall saying, you didn't understand it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that that guy, because this movie got like the most mixed reviews when it came out. And I'm sure he was like, nobody understands the thing I was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, Because you did it badly, dude. Yeah. You didn't pull it off. Whatever it was. There, that's another thing about this whole uh, this this French new uh, wave of, of filmmaking. They were trying to go with, with this sort of intense kind of horror movie, and and not just horror. It's, it's also been dramas and very violent dramas and thrillers and things like that. Um, but this extreme, this sort of ex- pushing things to extremes, is that's pretty much been a reaction to a lot of them. Is there are a lot of people who have looked at this selection of films, mostly by men? There are a few women involved in the, in the movement. Uh, as directors, but mostly the reactions have been this is artistically really very interesting, but mm. you know, I really liked this movie for I the like artistically of- interesting, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was last week's episode. Ah, I did it, uh-huh. I got that one in. Yeah, so it's just, I mean, it's it's a this is the kind of thing where. You know, they're they're trying to make a certain kind of film. And to some degree, they definitely succeeded here. You know, they they made this kind of film where you've got, you know, these this very stylish, very well shot, extremely gory, uh, very tense thriller, you know, horror slasher thriller, a reveal that's going to cause audiences to question whether or not, you know, They've wasted their time with this really stylish, clever, well-acted, you know. What's, uh, what sucks for me is that all of those awesome parts in the first, we'll say, hour of the movie, all of that stuff doesn't even matter anymore. Doesn't matter to me at all. The, the, the ending ruined it for me to a level where I just... Yeah, I agree. The same thing happened to me with How I Met Your Mother. I heard that from a lot of people. They were like, fuck you at the end of that series. Yeah. No one saw Ted murdering the mom. Oh, that's true. It was just, that was like completely out of left field. At this point, it was fucking Ted, dude. Up until that point, it was a comedy and the weird swerve into body horror at the end. (laughs) The tentacle things were too far. (laughs) Where Ted and James were actually the same person. I didn't see that coming. I don't know if there's a chance. I don't watch that show. Yeah, and Barney were the same man all along. Barney, Barney, that's a name from it. <laughs> okay, well, anything we need to be done. Yeah, so I, I would say it's definitely it's it's a great example of this kind of movie. It's a great example of this, you know, French the new French extremity mo- movement is what it's called, and and you can definitely check out other films that are in this. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting films in this movement if you are a fan of stylized filmmaking, lots of gore, this sort of really intense brutality, right? Uh, yeah. Martyrs is a great example uh, of this. The, and these two, these, this film and Martyrs are held up as being, you know, really great examples of this particular French movement. Um, and they're both incredibly intense films. I've said this before, Martyrs is, a, I think Martyrs is a genius piece of filmmaking. And I've seen it once, I don't know if I ever want to watch it again. It's very brutal. It's super intense. 
Um, and it's kind of painful to watch, but it's extremely well done. It's really hard to praise a film and go, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to see it again. But so, uh, next week we get to watch one of the, the seminal, uh, not gay, gay horror films, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, if you guys want to watch before and, and chat along with us about it. Um, I'm so glad we're doing a pride, uh, a pride month you guys, thank you for doing this with me. Um, especially considering the uh, political climate that we're in, we need to remember that, you know, we are all, uh, all of our input into culture and media and life in general is valid and not get bogged down with people who don't think that we matter or exist. So I'm glad we're able to do this together. My guys, I'm, I turned 50 recently and in my lifetime, I have seen so much opportunity and, um, chance for people, whether they are gay or lesbian, bi, transgender, have a chance to actually be who they are and not have to hide it. So a lot has changed. A lot lot has been really wonderful and, and a lot of growth has happened. And we're in this time right now, we're dealing with with so much race issue and, and a chance to actually see real change and growth there between that and the fact that we're so far apart. It's, it's great that I, we get to have this time, you know, with you, Dustin, because you're States away. Yes. (laughs) So, so uh, if you like what you've heard and, and, and even though you're not going to give me a last word, Oh, go ahead. You guys both said something really nice. Dustin is a monster. You know that, right? Oh, yeah, I am bad. I got, you know. Got nice things to say? Yeah. uh, um, This is great for me, too. (laughs) So I really enjoy this. I, I love the fact that we're doing something that I feel that this is meaningful. Or at least theme appropriate. Mm-hmm. People don't look at films. Uh, um, I think I used the phrase last week for that were are for a demographic. People tend to stick to their own stuff, and for me, being a middle aged white man, everything is for me pretty much. And so, I didn't know that there was even a genre of horror that was that, that had a that had a, a, a LGBT following. Q. IA. IA. Goddamn. There's so many. And it's another reason it's good for me, because then I get to use the new knowledge that I have from being a former kind of an asshole, you know, and then uh, I get to I get to practice what I preach a little bit about, because I really do. I really do enjoy this. And uh, I didn't think that I would so much. But I do. Last week's was bonkers. <laughs> and and that particular one had a lot of cultural information that I was probably uh, uh, assumed was just a, a stereotype. <laughs> it's not the greatest example, I probably. Anyways, um, I'm enjoying this. So thanks, dude. Good idea. We, yay. Good idea. I'm full of them. I'm going to pick That's a theme it. for a month. Yeah, I'm sure we can. There's nothing. So yeah, by all means, we will return to this particular theme 
um, next week with Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And just because, you know, El- there's it doesn't have to be just a single month. And that's one of the things that we try and do here that, that we've been trying to do since the beginning. Yes, the show started off about the Walking Dead universe, but the show hasn't always been on the air. And there have been times in between seasons where we've watched and done other things. This opportunity right now, which there's a possibility the 10th episode is going to come back in July, is where one of the rumors we're hearing right now. We'll see. Um, but this is an opportunity for us to explore some of the things that we don't normally talk about and to explore some of the films that we don't normally watch, which is great because, hey, you know, there's a lot of fantastic horror out there. And if we are going to talk, if you guys are going to listen to us talk about it, we should be able to bring something new to you that we haven't seen before. So nice to not be pissed off by The Walking Dead all the time. <laughs> yeah that can there be we nice go. so all right so folks if you've enjoyed this or and have any suggestions by the way if you if you can think of a a you know you know gay lesbian queer horror a film that, that as a horror fan you sat there and went this says something to me let us know we'd love to hear it you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter uh zompocalypse now just type that in and it'll take you where you want to go you can find the podcast itself on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and on podcast.com. Uh, you can leave us a comment. You can leave us a rating. That, of course, is always helpful with helping folks find the show. And, of course, if you'd be so kind, we would love it if you were to share the show. Let people know that it's out there. And if you've enjoyed it, that uh, you want other people to enjoy it as well. We'd really appreciate that. Also, if you listen, give us a comment. Drop some comments on us. Find us on Twitter at Zompocalypse In because uh, I don't know how Twitter names work. Uh, and and tell us you listen. Find me. I'm at the Night Dusto. Tim is Timothy Harvey. And Curtis is keeping his self-secret. Creepy um, underscore Curtis. Oh, there we go. Creepy uh, underscore Curtis. That's right. Give us, give us, you know, seek us out and tell us. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. All right, folks. We appreciate you listening. Dustin, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Curtis, thank you. Thank you, Tim and Dustin. And thanks again for listening, folks. We'll be back next week with another episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions. <laughs>